Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. We are live on X and we are live in full effect. We are live more ways than one because we are electrifying the way we move. Matt Teske joined us once again and joined with some representatives of Electrif- Electrification Coalition. I mean, that sounds like an amazing rap name, Electrification Coalition. Right, I think it's our new rap group. That's 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 how we're gonna start things. Wu Tang's shaking right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wu Tang's for the kids, but electrification coalitions for the babies, because that's, that's what right. we're talking about. We're talking about our future here. You like that? Emily and Torin joining us here. We just met, and you know, we bring in Matt when it when we get to this level of of knowledge and mind share. And I, I kind of I'm this big dumb animal that comes in and is like educate me, but Matt's like this learned scholar, and he has many leather bound books. Um, but but he has a, he has a perspective that I think that an early adopter has. I'm a not adopter, so prove me prove me wrong or prove me right. I want to just be proven that electrification is the way to go. But on that rant, Torin, Emily, go ahead. Let's see an arm wrestling match to see who goes first. Join us. You know, I'll jump in uh, over here, coming from the West Coast. I'm in Palo Alto, California. Uh, but my name is Emily Pape. I'm a senior associate with the Electrification Coalition. Uh, and I predominantly work on our programs team, working on workplace charging, also with cities on their fleet electrification, uh, and kind of just, yeah, EVs all the time. Over to you, Torin. Thanks, Emily. Yeah, Torin Spencer, uh, senior associate with the Electrification Coalition as well. Uh, working on workplace uh, charging adoption, been working on fleet electrification in the past as well, and located in Orlando, Florida. So we got all the coasts covered. That's perfect. Matt, uh, and this is, uh, again, all joking aside, I, I try to make it fun and digestible in regards to education. And and obviously, the infrastructure is something that we always talk about. And this is what, you know, Chargeway is about. This is what Electrification Coalition is about. You're fighting the good fight. And I think I think that is, again, we only have one planet. So this perspective and education and also like you said, this coalition to create this infrastructure. But Matt, I'm sure you have a bevy of questions. Go ahead. Oh, I mean, I've, I've actually I had a chance to chat with folks from the Electrification Coalition a lot of different times over the years, people that have come and gone. And again, the efforts that are being made there have been longstanding. Um, I think that what really, in my experience, and again, you know, Emily and Tony, you can obviously correct me here, but the Electrification Coalition oftentimes, I and mean, there's, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that has to happen to make things happen in the electrification space. And that really oftentimes in the past has started, you know, from the policy side and really what, what conversations can we have to really set the stage for what, how electrification can impact different parts of our lives. And again, we, you mentioned workplace charging and obviously that's, that's directly related to, you know, personal EV ownership and how that, how that relates to your options for filling up with an electric car. Uh, but Torn, as you mentioned, there's also fleets involved. So I guess one thing to help people understand and maybe unpack a little bit is kind of at a very high level where is EC really impacting things today? I think those who are early adopters, those who've been around the industry for a long time, we could probably go on and on and on about the, the, you know, the efforts made and the successes over the years from Electrification Coalition. But today, where do things stand? Where do you see the landscape as it stands today for all the things that Electrification Coalition is a part of? Uh, it, the horizon is bright. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background, like you said. Um, Electrification Coalition, uh, we're a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization based in D.C., working to uh, move transportation technology away from oil dependency. Um, But there's a lot of stuff going on. Our team works on policy campaigns, programs. We also work towards uh, port electrification, freight electrification, uh, multimodal transportation a lot, uh, trying to attack it from all sorts of different directions. Emily, that, did that cover it or is there is just there about, uh, I mean, we really, <laughs> we really work with, I mean, all sorts of public and private entities and stakeholders to just implement these EV acceleration programs. And so right now that's really looking like kind of serving as the bridge on the programs team from all this money that's coming in at the federal level, mm-hmm. and then making sure that that money translates into tires on the road and that you're seeing EVs, you know, in your cities, in your school districts. Uh, you know, getting electric buses on the roads, getting your, you know, your fleet vehicles that you see parks and rec in your city, that those are EVs. Um, So kind of trying to serve as that bridge uh, in that space right now. Yeah. Yeah, And you took the words out of my mouth because there, there are dollars being spent, but where (laughs) is it being spent? How is it being allocated? Right? So 
you're, as I say, you're fighting this good fight of, you know, it's not going to, and and you guys know it's not going to be like a switch. And you've seen over the last, I mean, how many decades, right? Of here's the death of the EV car. Now, again, it just, it bears repeating this, this infrastructure. So you guys are really aggressive on all your fronts. Like you said, fleets and buses. We've had some amazing guests on here, you know, both, both in person or Electrify Expo and here on the podcast. And Matt really dives into it. Let me just ask you this because I've had a lot of international people on here talking about the infrastructure. What country do you admire who has the best infrastructure of EV? Maybe you not, might not have an answer because it just, but, and also where, where are we in the rung of, of kind of infrastructure of, of charging and, and being kind of progressive like this? That's a great question, Jared. Um, as far as infrastructure, there's probably a lot of good examples, but I think Norway is kind of leading the way in a lot of ways. A vast majority of their new vehicles that are sold are electric. So that means there's a lot of charging available as well. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, things behind the scenes in Norway as well. There's a lot of incentives to move electric vehicles, but they realize that they can't be dependent on oil forever as well. So they're moving that way. I think if Norway can do it, I think the United States can do it as well. And it's a very also- loaded, very loaded question. Sorry, I apologize, but it's just because I'm, I'm always like, you know, when you talk to a musician, like, who are your inspiration? You know, and and who, where where did you get that from? So I think that's that's I don't know. Like, like I said, big dumb animal questions. But like we said earlier, it's Wu Tang. So I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Go ahead, Emily. Sorry. I, I would also add in like, yeah, Norway's doing some really cool stuff. Um, but I personally have been really impressed with all of the investment we've seen lately from our own federal government. And so while, you know, six months ago, you might not walk around and see EV chargers everywhere, that's changed. Like in the last six months, over a thousand public chargers have, have come online in the U.S. And so I think that's been really impressive and really shows where we're trending uh, in the U.S. when it comes to federal investment. Yeah, for public charging, but also for uh, multifamily housing charging. And then also something that Torin and I are both really excited to talk about, workplace charging as well. One of the things that, you know, to Jared's question is like, you know, who's done it right? You know, I think it, let's just kind of, you know, open up a little bit of, you know, the elephant in the room right now. I think for some conversation that's been public uh, for the last month or two is there hasn't exactly been a lot of great headlines for EVs in the last, you know, 30 to 60 days. And a lot of that, you know, is pointing to it, one of the things that you mentioned, you know, from the Electrification Coalition tour is like, it's like we're, you know, we're, we're nonpartisan here. Like we want to work with everybody and anybody we can. Um, but there appears to be a divide in, in how we can actually translate the value of electrification to different lifestyles, to different, you know, different places geographically. What, what do you see as the biggest hurdle as to how we can, you know, basically, you know, bridge that chasm in with regard to how are we going to get more people to understand the value of what we're doing? We can spend money all day long, but if people aren't seeing personal value in their lives in it, or it's not translating to who they are as a driver or as a business owner, we have, we can spend money till we're blue in the face. They have to believe. So how do we help them believe? That's a great question. Education. That's the biggest part. People are afraid of things they don't fully understand. And that makes perfect sense. People are moving from gas powered cars. They've driven for a long time and EVs are a new technology. They just have information they need in order to make sense for them. Uh, but EVs are super effective, have the range for most people's regular daily commutes. Uh, and the more charges we put in the ground, the more useful those EVs will become for everybody. And do you think, you know, with all the manufacturers coming out, you know, just at CES talking about VinFast and this manufacturer, that manufacturer, there's not enough chargers going around or are there? And like what, what, like you said, in the, in the last you know, a thousand or last 30, 60 days, like you said, this chasm of EVs and the separation, but the charging and the infrastructure, Emily, as you said, what, what's your take on that? Basically like flooding the world with, with vehicles or flooding the States with vehicles and not having that infrastructure. What's the answer. And then also part two to that is aren't a lot of, and we've talked about this, Matt, before with other guests is the the oil companies are making investments in that charging experience as well. Right. I mean, aren't they getting funding as well? So they're kind of, it's helping everybody. You're like, all right, let's, let's join the party. Well, I really want to hear your thoughts on this, but I mean, to, to that point is, is there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uh, fever pitch happening right now in the world of electrification, good and bad. 
but with all those investments being made and all the people that are coming to the table, I think to Jared's point too, is there are non-traditional players that are stepping up and saying, Hey, we want to be involved now. Um, what, how do you see that playing out over time as it relates to traditional fossil fuel brands getting involved? Uh, in my, my opinion, they don't make the electricity. So this is more of a bland and a brand and a landscape play, but how do you see it, Emily? Yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're obviously in this transition of how you fill up your car and for a little while, like people are going to be comforted to like fill up at a shell station, whether that shell is gas or electric. Um, but I think we're really seeing if you're concerned about, you know, issues of infrastructure, this will become, you are able to fill up your vehicle, uh, at a variety of different places. So like right now you don't go to work and like use your work gas station. That's not a thing, but that will be, and already is starting to be something that is just part of people's daily lives. And it is becoming something that employers will expect or employees when they're searching for a new job, uh, or like a transfer, to say, okay, well, I can get some charge at home, but my employer provides this really nice level two charging. My car is going to sit for eight hours. And mm-hmm. so that will be the bulk of the charging for a lot of people. And while these DC fast chargers are important, when we're talking about like the great American road trip, right? But most of us aren't driving the great American road trip every day. Right. And so, you know, workplace charging, home charging is going to fill a lot of Americans needs when it comes to when it comes to this. The, the word you just used there a few different times, uh, you know, like basically the, the fill up and and going to fueling stations. And this is something that, that, you know, that I work on on a regular basis is talking about what is the product that we're actually trying to get people to buy into. And if we're asking them to fill up with electricity, that's a big part of the of the of the psychological switch. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the same as taking a liquid and pouring it into an empty tank. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of complexity and engineering going on there that actually can impact your experience as a driver, whether you're a fleet driver or and most importantly, for the private, you know, private citizen and understand like how that works. And to your point, we may not be making you know road trips every day. It's you know, most people don't. But that's the thing that I think that we need to figure out how to you know bridge that educational gap that like Tori mentioned, like it's about education. And so if most people think that they can get in a gas car today and just drive wherever they want, even though they probably never do that that hurdle of of educating them on that with plugging in and charging at these options how do you see how do you see how we can unpack that for people because there's a lot to learn there uh, i'd be curious to get your thoughts on that that's a good question yeah there is a lot to learn there's a lot to un- unpack with daily use of vehicles people's regular trips are less than 100 miles round trip a day evs cover that easily most new electric vehicles have ranges of around 250 miles. If you use it wisely, you can get from A to B super easy. Yeah, the road trip is a little bit more complex, but the more chargers that go in along highways and then at workplaces as well can really bridge that gap and kind of become the new gas station model. There are gas stations here, there, and everywhere, and everybody's used to being able to go anywhere, fill up whenever, and they're good to go. Eventually, when we have more stations put in the ground, that will have a similar effect and a similar feel with stations here, there, and everywhere to charge whenever you need to. On, on that end, I mean, is that, I mean, having them there, I agree 100%. They got to be there. They got to be working. You know, we hear about that a lot about, you know, reliability and maintenance. Um, there's also that element of understanding how the fill up works, right? Is because consumers are used to just saying, I got to take the E and make it go to F on my little gauge. Like, that's what I want to do. And we already hear stories right now about people that are plugged in at a fast charger and their batteries at 82% and they just hang out there for the next 40 minutes to get all the way to a hundred baby. Like there's, there's clearly some elements about how the engineering works that is not translating to how people understand the fill up. So even if we have all those chargers out there that they can, you know, they can pull up and rely on, there's also that way to help them understand like your car may have a certain threshold of power it can accept your charging curve may be a certain way that you don't need to be using a fast charger right now. How do you see that we're going to resolve that? Especially if the product they've used forever is called regular and it's a liquid. True. I, I think that comes with uh, regular use. It comes with experience. Maybe new EV drivers aren't going to get that right off the bat, but they're going to eventually understand they're going to hear eventually that keeping your battery between 15, 20% and 80% is the sweet spot. Going from 80 to 100 isn't easy and going below 20 isn't great for the battery all the time. So they'll learn that going 
between low and high is where they want to be. Um, so I, I'd ask I you think that'll that. happen. I'd ask you, I saw a post the other day where someone did the math, like you just said, and said, well, if I can't really take it below 20% for some reason, I really can't go above 80% because fast charging isn't really efficient there. They did the math on it and said, well, I just lost 40% of my car's range. And the EPA says it's got 300, but that means I actually only have like 175 or 180. And I, and that, that was an average person saying, I just did that math. So that, that scares me. Cause then it says, there's all these little checkboxes they have to learn about how to use it that make them just kind of see how it's depleted on their functional use. Is there a better way that we can translate that to people as opposed to saying, make these concessions here, 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 and here, or how do we do, how do we do them a favor by helping them not feel like they're losing out, but instead show them that it's, you know, from a lot, as you mentioned, like they have to learn this, but that this conversation right here, I think there's a lot of folks, I mean, at Electrify Expo, we hear these conversations. We have these conversations on the podcast a lot. I, I think for early adopters that work, but I don't think that's going to work for the mainstream consumer to hear that. And dealers are saying the same thing, unfortunately. I would also say, though, that we, we, we have to give like the average American consumer some credit. Like almost every American today owns like a smartphone and a laptop. Mm-hmm. And like we understand how those batteries work. And I know just from using my iPhone that it's not a linear decrease in my battery when I use it. And so like, if I get it to 80%, yeah, it's going to take a lot longer to go from like 80 to hundred than it did 60 to 80, but I just know how to use my phone that way. And so I think that people, well, one thing that we focus on a lot in outreach and electric at the electrification coalition is ride and drives, because we've seen in countless other nonprofits, governments, whoever you want to say, uh, say have seen that when you get people in an EV, they get really excited and see like sure. it's fun to drive it's intuitive to drive like it just makes sense it's, as it's a, a car it's a car <laughs> right it's a bit, right. i think that's the thing too and so just getting people in these vehicles and giving them some credit of like we as a society like we we are familiar with batteries and so while there that will well, are, be are we a, though like, well, we? I think I think so, and so like that's there spicy will be today. I like I, I, I am spicy today because because I, I got to be back us up here, man. Yeah, I I just you know I think I'm an early adopter. I've been driving EVs for ten years, and I I had the same response all the time. Like, well, people get this stuff. Like, this is not going to be hard. It's been ten years, and every time I have conversations with people that aren't like me or like us that are you know kind of in the know a bit, the amount of times I hear people say like, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't know what my battery does in my phone. I just plug it in. I want it to go to a hundred. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's got like some, you know, some elements to it. Like Apple's got that little notification. It's like, Hey, we're kind of halting your charging for now. We're going to, we're going to make it more efficient. And they're like, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> like I plug it back in and I want it to go to a hundred. I'm just well, like, Oh boy, that's crazy. It's, it's such conditioning. I mean, look right, at, look yeah. at our, look at our Brady bunch heads here, right? Like you got Orlando Pacific Northwest, Northern California. I'm in Southern California. You know, obviously we have three that are on the West coast, but I mean, obviously, Emily and I being in North, Northern, Northern and Southern California, California could be three different states. And I oh, say yeah. that from state of mind, not even, you know, actual geographical location. But, you know, being in Orlando, that I mean, the infrastructure there, it, it's pretty decent, but you got to drive a little farther. Palo yeah. Alto takes you an hour to go five miles. So it, it's just this this whole conditioning level. And Emily, you know, you you've been kind of in my head the whole time talking about ride sharing and what's going on here. And you guys, you know, it's. We're talking about the challenges. Let's talk. Let's talk about the successes and things that Electrification yeah. Coalition has done. Because I don't want to act like the sky is falling. Because it is. It rained really heavy in Southern California. My <laughs> pool is overflowing. First world issues. Um, but you know, let's talk about the wins that you guys have created. Because I'm seeing, you know, and Torin, you talked about this. Talking about, you know, basically heavy duty vehicles. That's a huge one. You talk about going cross country. These Great American Road Trips, Emily. But what are the big wins that you guys are excited about in 2023? And then even most recently, I mean, shoot, we're already a month into 2024. Yeah, we've had a lot of big wins recently. There's been a lot of uh, national electric vehicle infrastructure funds being distributed all across the states. There's a lot of really big stations going in along highway corridors. Uh, In Orlando, there's been a charging hub that went in downtown that was implemented by Orlando Utilities Commission. That was a big win for the city. There's a lot of other examples like that going on around the country. And then on the Electrification Coalition side, we're really excited to get uh, EV adoption leadership programming uh, up and going end of 23 and all the way through 24. 
Emily, how about you? Any, anything else you want to add to that that kind of is on the tip of your tongue? Because everybody has their different agenda, right? Like why why Matt drives an EV? Because he wants to look super cool. He doesn't care about the planet. I'm joking. Um, I was going to say, but, well, that, but... <laughs> that hit me in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> no, but everybody has kind of, again, their their lane that they're passionate about, either for their kids, for themselves, for, you know, whatever. But Emily, anything that kind of strikes <laughs> strikes your nerve? Yeah, one thing I do want to want to touch on. So I'm yes, I live in California, but I'm originally from Idaho, so not coastal. And yeah, uh huh. And I've been doing a lot of work recently in Ohio with Ohio communities, and you are really seeing this commitment to electrification and really understanding of electric vehicles as the future, as what's here. Um, And that's been really exciting to see when it comes to cities who are invested in the future of their communities from, yes, a climate standpoint, but also from a clean air standpoint, from a job standpoint. Uh, And so you can really see all the different facets of vehicle electrification, not just on the coast, but like all throughout the country. And so that's been really exciting. Um, And Torin just mentioned the uh, eval program that we're working on. So electric vehicle adoption leadership. And our focus there is in the Southeast and the Midwest in getting workplace charging in the ground, recognizing organizations that already have invested in this. um, Because we are seeing it that companies and cities and universities want to provide this for their employees and see that this really is going to be very important in like employee retention and the vision of their business in, in the years and now and the years to come. You just hit on a good point is, is, you know, how, what is there, what do companies look like in the eyes of the public as it relates to some of the things one, on one hand, it's electrification, it's clean energy, it's, you know, cleaner air, et cetera. But then on the other hand, it's how are they setting the stage whether they're going to be relevant in years to come as it relates to their their mission and their vision and, and how they relate to some of these opportunities, especially if it's work, you know, workforce development or creating jobs and things like that. And it's interesting that so many of the opportunities that have happened for new, new uh, factories, for whether it's battery or manufacturing for vehicles, so much of that has happened in states that are not, you'd think, the EV state. You know, it wasn't exactly happening in California or New York, for that matter. We see it spread out through the Midwest and the South. Is, is that something that from the, what you just described, is that something that you think is going to continue to support the efforts that you're making uh, as, a, as a way to point to saying, look, we're not here out of nowhere. Your state is involved with these efforts. Um, I guess, how do you see that translating, not from just even NEVI dollars and federal dollars, but just even opportunity for private sector and some of these companies saying, well, because we got some support, we're going to go to South Carolina, uh, like Redwood, you know, like Redwood Materials building their, their new battery recycling factory. How, how is that going to continue to help, I think, bridge that gap for people to see how this is something that benefits their life, maybe as a job? Definitely. I think we're seeing like electric vehicles being made here in the U.S. and companies being based here in the U.S. that in the next couple of years, like it's already starting to feel this way, but we'll continue to of like American EVs are homegrown. They create good jobs. They're in communities across the country. Like you see Rivian in Illinois and Georgia mm-hmm. And really putting in effort to have roots across the country because this is where customers are. This is where employees are. And like we have a lot of expertise and willingness and hardworking American employees who are excited to be part of this transition. And so I like to see companies investing in that because if someone's going to work at the Rivian plant in Norma, Illinois, then EVs become part of their life and whether or not they drive like a Chevy Bolt or a Rivian truck, whatever it looks like, they're driving something that they are a part of. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really exciting just again, throughout the country and not they just take, the coast. They take pride in that. I mean, that's, exactly. I, it's interesting how that, that kind of, that conversation has kind of gotten lost over time in the sense of like, you know, Tesla being a very American brand in so many ways. And that just, gets overlooked by some folks. <laughs> they just, they're just kind of like, eh, it's Tesla. But we, we also even hear people say like, is it made in America? I heard it was made in China or something. And, and to that point too, there's a lot of Chinese brands that are, gonna make, that are making very compelling EVs that aren't here yet, but that might happen in the near term. I mean, it depends on what happens with our elections and tariffs and things of that nature. Uh, from your perspective, you know, how, how do you feel that we can com- compete with that 
domestically. I mean, I, we, we see a lot of things happening on the, on the, you know, our, the side of the conversation for what's happening with Ford and GM and others. We're seeing a little bit of pullback from there. We're hearing that, you know, GM saying, ah, we're gonna go back to plug in hybrids a bit. We need to reframe how we're gonna do things a bit with our electrification plans. Do you think that there needs to be some sort of, uh, in, you know, infusion of innovation and urgency around that? Because a lot of these brands that are global, they are further ahead. How, how do you think we're going to compete with that as a, as a country? I think we're already competing. There's a lot of really big companies in the States that have already made really good EVs. Uh, like Ford, for example, they're super interested in it. They've already made the Lightning. Uh, Von Gittin Jr. just made that brand new uh, F-150 Lightning custom truck to show how innovative EVs can be. Mm. And they can do everything from A to Z. Uh, Ford, Chevy, the lot, they're all making really good cars and they'll continue to do so. Uh, may, they may be, they may not be doing it at the rate we would love to see for the time being, but in the future, they'll continue to come out with good cars, uh, that'll compete on the world stage for sure. Yeah. And, and Matt, to that point internationally, uh, talking, talking to previous guests, the, the, and it kind of playing off what you said. Fuel, filling up, fueling up, filling up, you know, this, this actual liquid or this, this thing, the, the way that we're charging couple, couple things here. My mind's just racing. There was a, there was a way that you can charge over in Asia. You replace the batteries and you have different battery. That is a whole nother way of charging that segues into, like you said, this stigma, this, this conditioning of filling up and this is our experience. And, and, you know, uh, you guys keep talking about, charging at work, just all of these things that are just, what are you doing for me? Right. That's kind of what the, no, I'm not saying me, Jared, I'm saying metaphorically, like, what are you doing You just have to send him a car, apparently. (laughs) No, but that's, that's, that's what they're saying. That's consumers angle is like, what are you doing for me? You know, like how, how are you building a structure? And then that segues into, are you happy that the charging situation has been narrowed down to be one universal plug. Again, we don't need lightning cables. We don't need this. We're finally at USB-C. Can we, can we just land on that? Um, but that being said about the charging scenario, that's got to help streamline something, right? Or do you feel it's a monopoly that dang Elon? <laughs> I don't think it's a monopoly. I think we've been going through a couple of different technologies and we're going to have uh, adapt adapters for a while. We're going to have 1772 CCS adapters to go to NAX charging. Uh, it's it's going to work. Things are going to change in the next couple of years, uh, but I think it's going to make a sense to everybody uh, as we slowly and effectively move towards one technology. Then we're all ahead, Matt. We're, we're, like we're all just nodding our heads like, yes, yes, it's us. No, it, it, but it, I love, I, I'm, as I'm sitting here talking to you guys, I'm going through all the resources that Electrification Coalition has. And it's it's a diatribe of, of great numbers. And this is, let's just call it what it is. Nerdy is not a slanderous word anymore. Nerdy is you find something to the umpty ninth detail and you could really dive into it, educate yourself, look at the, you know, kind of the 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 haters and the and the congratulators you know so just look at this you guys are a resource and you're opening up all of the studies that you've done and i think that that's what's really interesting about it even listening to elon's interview you know at the end of last year the new york times you know uh gfy right <laughs> yeah um, i was like <laughs> sorry what are we yeah. gonna quote here <laughs> yeah exactly no he was talking about all the patents that he has that are open some he protects and he creates some but the other ones are mostly open source so i think that's what the ev culture is all about of sharing resources because rising tide does lifts all ships and you know charging does Keep the keep the world going here in a little bit, you know, as opposed to, you know, again, the the cost and barrels of, of fuel and oil and crude oil. And oh, yeah. yeah, well, I, I mean, to that point of, of, you know, you know, we've all been asking about the universal approach for especially for the connector type. Right. And if you rewind still a year ago, there was still the drumbeat of Tesla's got to get their act together. They got to switch to CCS. They're the only they're the only, you know, company saying, no, this sucks. And I always kept thinking. There is no way Elon and company at, at Tesla are going to give up their connector type. No way. Because anybody that uses it is like, man, this is an elegant design. You can tell this was designed with intent. You can tell it wasn't eight people in the room going, you know what we should do? We should take those DC pins and slap them on the bottom of that other thing and then make this thing. You know, I mean, so 
I always thought like, yeah, they're never going to do it. So the fact that everyone else decided once, once you have a big player like Ford say, okay, we're making a switch. I think what was interesting about that moment is it still has shown. And if you kind of look at the landscape of the last year and I'd be, and, and, and Torn and Emily, I'd love to get your thoughts on this is you'd look at where the legacy OEMs have kind of progressed to in their, in their development. And last year is an example of, they were just sourcing what they could from the SAE saying, this is what's approved. This is what we've decided on as, as a coalition. And it just proved that it wasn't the right approach for various reasons. Um, namely being third-party networks couldn't support the OEMs the way that they'd hoped. And the way that Tesla went about it, just owning the whole ecosystem amidst having an elegant design, they just decided that's better for our drivers. And, and that's what we've now seen. I think it's great for the industry. I think people are going to really benefit from it. But Torin, to your point, we're going to have adapters in glove boxes and center consoles for a long time because we're not ripping out all that infrastructure. And a lot of those legacy cars, the millions of cars on the road that don't have that connector are going to have to contend with that. Um, I'd be curious to think like to, to get a, your thoughts on how that translates into kind of what we said about education and conversations earlier is dealers have to figure out if they get a trade in on an older EV that doesn't have the current connector and they've got to sell that car. How do they do that? Because we're already seeing that, what, 4,700 dealers wrote the Biden administration saying, please stop. We don't know what we're doing. Like, like we, we're, not, we're not in yet. Like, how do we solve that? That's a, that's a good question. I don't know if I have a well uh, thought out answer for that one, but I think dealers are in a good spot. Dealers are knowledgeable. They've been in the biz for a long time. Uh, and they've gone through changing technologies as well. They'll find innovative solutions for it. And you know what? They might have adapters available at the parts department at dealerships for different plugs, and they will find a way to continue being prosperous and getting people uh, into the cars that they need. And as you have like the EV market continue to mature, and so you do have more of these used EVs on the market, like that's really only good news because most most Americans buy used cars. Like that's oh, yeah. really a huge part of the market. And so having these vehicles that, okay, maybe you need an adapter, but that means this car is a little bit cheaper for you to afford. I think people are going to be really amenable to that. And just like some people coming in, like different cars have different specs. Like maybe it's four wheel drive. Maybe it doesn't have satellite radio. I don't know. But it will be one of those other things that you're just looking at when you're buying a used car and you weigh and you look at your finances as like the average American family and it'll just make EVs more affordable for people, I think. The, in that way too, we often hear, you know, that, that used EV is kind of like that, for, like, okay, we'll get a second car for the family and we've got this other car we've had forever, but let's try out this other, e like this, we'll buy an EV and see what it's like. You still hear those stories of people that say, yeah, we bought our EV. Our first EV is kind of like, eh, we'll just drive it around. No big deal. We'll still drive the car all the time. But then they realize, actually, as we just talked about earlier, with all those daily commutes and daily driving, if you do have a house where you can plug in, it changes the whole dynamic for how you can actually enjoy an EV. And then you see anecdotally people say like, yeah, my gas car is in the driveway and it hasn't moved in three months because we don't have to. It's, it's that idea of if we can get those used EVs you know, into market, you know, as we get those used EVs into market, I think it's going to introduce a lot more of those opportunities where it's someone who says, might as well try it. It's not going to cost me $40,000. I wasn't going to pay that anyway, but I can get one for 10, you know, and, and what's that going to end up looking like? I, I think that as, as that happens more, how does that then roll into the programs and work that you're doing as it relates to workplace charging and helping people see like where these opportunities lie, you know, and kind of understanding lifestyle. I just referenced someone who could charge at home, but someone who can't, is there a way to help them see that, oh, actually I street park, but actually I do have workplace charging. So, and I've got this, I don't know, old gas suburban that I take to Idaho and go fishing with in the summers. But all the time I can just take this, you know, X thousand dollar older EV and do it. How do, how do we tell that story to those folks that have a lifestyle that kind of aligns with the work you're doing with workplace charging, for example? Absolutely. So our, uh, the certification we're working on, it's called eval. Uh, it's DOE funded. Fourth Mobility Out of Oregon is, is running it and cool. we're working with them on that. Uh, and really the goal here is to recognize employers who have EV charging in the ground and incentivize and assist other employers who are interested in that. Okay. And the goal there is really tying into what you're saying of like making sure Americans have a designated place to charge because 80% yeah. of EV charging happens at home or at work. 
Mm-hmm. And so if you have someone who's in multifamily housing or parks on the street or whatever it is, if they you know start their job or are looking for jobs and are like, hey, I have EV charging at work, that means I can get that used Chevy Bolt as our right. second vehicle. And so it just kind of opens up the world really for so many yeah. people if they can charge at work. And so again, with eval, that's what we're really trying to do is create this platform to highlight employers who are already doing that and make it as easy as possible for other folks to follow suit. Yeah. Is how do we go about helping, you know, identify those people and help people understand kind of where they fit in the kind of EV ownership bucket, right? Is if you're a homeowner, you probably wouldn't think about this as much because you are going to, like you said, leverage your home charging. Is there a way to more effectively identify and how to market to those people that fit into that lifestyle demographic? I mean, what's, is that part of what the eval program is? Uh, the eval program is definitely built to recognize those businesses that are moving that greener direction, uh, putting in workplace charging, incentivizing different forms of transportation for their workforce. Um, Emily, help me out here. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I was just saying like individual yeah. people, not so much the works, the, yeah. like the actual locations, but how do we help? Can we talk about it earlier is, you know, and as Jared's like, I, you know, I'm the big dumb ape walking in saying, I don't have a home charger. Help me do this. How do we help people that don't know what they don't know get exposed to that opportunity? Like you said, Emily, like they might be job hunting and they might want, like, how do we show them that that's a perk of that job and, and then translate that to average people? Yeah. The biggest thing here, which I, again, I don't know how you really go about this from a systems approach, but is peer to peer contact. And mm-hmm. so if you see that your neighbor got an EV or your cousin or your coworker, then that kind of starts the wheels turning. And so as you just get more EVs on the road, there will be kind of that interaction among networks that mm-hmm. will allow people to see like, oh, I didn't think an EV was for me, but my coworker over here who lives in a similar house or apartment as I do and has the same job has this and really enjoys it and makes it work. And so when people just see it in their daily lives, that's a huge part of it. There's also the component of seeing EVs in like media. So like, I don't know if you caught in the Barbie movie, the main uh, America Ferreira, her character drives an EV and it's not a part of the plot. It's not like a a huge thing, but it's there. Mm -hmm. And so as we put more EVs into the media that people consume every day and as they see it in their daily lives, like that's how you reach people if you're talking about bridging that gap. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's again just goes back to conditioning and what what yeah. you know and and that experience and yeah, it's you guys you guys you know, who is who is your ideal listener right now? Who who do you want hearing this? Because, you know, talking to, you know, Matt and I talking about getting buses, you know, that was a specific effort, right? Um E for electrification. He's like, "Screw California, I've lived there forever. I'm moving to <laughs> You know, and he was just such a polarizing character and he just has this relationship with EV or or Tesla, for instance. And then he just like, well, he's out. And then but he's excited about this. I say all that. Who do you ideally want to hear this podcast right now and is looking at electrificationcoalition.org and is looking at I mean, I'm looking at these great, great case studies talking about going, you know, you're talking about Iowa and, you know, going Nissan Leaf and full fleet electrification. Who do you want to listen to this podcast and who do you want to share this with? I would say, yeah, <laughs> go ahead, Torin. <laughs> yeah, we want everybody to hear it. We have all sorts of different uh, services and information for all sorts of different municipalities, entities, companies, uh, nonprofits. Uh, obviously, Emily and I's work is focused on anybody who goes to work, which is a lot of us. Uh, a lot of people are going to uh, the office now that uh, COVID isn't really much of a thing anymore. We're all kind of getting back to the groove getting back out into the world and uh, the more workplaces that are thinking about putting in charging uh, can look at this programming and really anybody can look into it. Uh, it doesn't have to be signed up for by the top person at the company. Really anybody within an organization can take a look at the certification process, take 20 minutes, give us an idea of what's going on as far as um efforts towards green energy and uh, EVs at work, and they can get certified and show the rest of the workforce that there are good opportunities at that place to work. Does that, does that fill it in, Emily, or is there? 
Pretty much. I, I would also just add that this would be for people who are maybe open to an EV, but are hesitant because they're not sure how that charging piece is going to play out. And just providing that kind of framework for workplace charging for saying you can leave the house and have a place to charge for where you spend eight hours a day. Mm. Uh, and just kind of opening up that idea of like where you charge can be where you work. Cool. I, one thing I'd like to know, and this is, this is personal to both of you, uh, is tomorrow you're told, okay, you're no longer working on workplace charging. That's not your, that's not your program anymore. And now you get to choose in electrification what you want to work on tomorrow. What would each of you work on? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I've worked on fleet electrification for the past couple of years, uh, trying to get information to fleet operators on how they can go from a gas fleet to an electric fleet. There have been a lot of good uh, instances of that. The city of Orlando has really kind of moved the needle. They've moved most of their uh, gas cars that they can move to electric, and they've just gone that way. And it's worked out really, really well. And I would love to share that with all sorts of other uh, fleets around the states that they can move that direction too. Uh, if they have the desire to, they can definitely implement that. And I would say for me, it would be school bus electrification. Just because, yeah, you have the long-term climate impacts, but you also have the day-to-day -day pollution impacts for children. Yeah. When you see like the kids who are on school buses the longest often face the most other disadvantages and have the highest rates of asthma yeah. and sitting on a diesel bus for two hours a day does not help. And so it's a pretty like simple, straightforward thing to address of like, we can swap this out for an electric school bus and you don't have the exhaust, you don't have headaches from the noise, you don't have all these things and you're helping kids. And I think that's fantastic. And the drivers yeah. love them and they're just portable batteries. There's so many pros. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a Vita X opportunity there for school buses that just chill and 100%. hang out every night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We, who was that guest that we had on previously? And they, they, you know, again, this is, this gets into the nuances of it, but they broke it down so easily for us about car, school buses. Yeah, yeah, CARB or Center for Sustainable Energy, I forget who it was. It was, it was, yeah. Like, but yeah, no, it was, and that, and that, but I mean, to those points is what you're, what you're looking at too for how you describe both those opportunities that you guys are supposed to describe is, you know, Torn for you, it's, it's, you have a, a model that you can point to and say, here's, here's a livable case study and here's what we've been able to effectively do. And in Fleet, there's so much that comes down to the bean counting of it. You know, and you can basically say, like, look, we, we can show you, like, aside from what it can do from an energy perspective, look what we can do for your bottom line if you make this decision. And it's it's marrying those conversations to kind of, like, see what's going to make someone react. And, and, and like you point on the school bus side of it, every single town, large and small throughout the country, that is something can, that can be implemented. And and the beauty of it is, in the, and the conversation we had on the previous podcast is, you know the routes of those buses. Like, you know exactly where they're going. You can do some quick math against what the battery can do, what the temperature is outside to see how successful you can do that. And then have that, you know, virtual backup facility of we got X amount of kilowatt hours just hanging out at night if we need it. And yay, school buses. I mean, it's there's so many things that people just still don't know what they don't know. And the work that you're doing is exposing a lot of people in industry, regardless of where they are geographically, as to how that can benefit in their life. So, um, I mean, Emily, I was really hoping you were going to say there's a lake that my family goes to in Idaho that that I am like about to install a level two for them, like, like at their lodge. Cause I'm like, come on, guys. I went there one time with my car and they literally let me use the manager's parking spot that had a 110 outlet. And I just plugged in and camped for four days and just was like, ah, my car's filling up. I don't care. <laughs> but I was like, 80. You, you got to 80 and, and tried to get home. Well, <laughs> I rolled up with my uncle's like, how did you get here? I'm like, uncle Bob, electricity's everywhere, baby. And he's just like, okay. Let's go fishing. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever, nerd, right? Yeah, just, just, but the, yeah. but that's that that stigma, and and also again, I'm just running through all this information on the website, and there's so much of it, and I'm just diving in here. The uh, was it the C the CFI awards and and, and I mean 622 million awards for 47 projects in 24 states and territories. I mean, it's it's kind of like I, I, we live in a mid-century modern house. And uh, so we got it deemed historic, not for the ego part of it, obviously, but we get the Mills Act. So our property tax gets cut in half because of we're investing into the home. So it's almost like paying it forward. Like 
do and refine the infrastructure and you will be acknowledged for being progressive and helping the planet and also helping your bottom line. Why right. is electricity more efficient than fuel in more ways than one? Like you said, the school bus one is such a no brainer, right? Those things sit there, boom, charging experience. I mean, in, you know, here in Southern California, it's, it's a no brainer. It just really is. But I, I say that because the, the funding does exist. So for yeah. those I, I'm, I asked, it was kind of a loaded question. I think there's an opportunity for companies and cities to, as you say, Orlando, building that fleet, getting out there. Um, you know, we've seen hydrogen for so long, right? The natural gas and, and all these different natural gas vehicles around California. Um, the funding's there. Yeah, the funding's there. Like you said, CFI funding, the first round just went out very recently. There were several awardees, but there were so many more uh, places that, put a lot of thought and effort into their application, weren't awarded in the first round. So if any of those uh, applicants are listening, apply for the second round again. And if you didn't apply for the first round, apply for the second round. Um, and then also to that point again, where EVs make sense, total cost of ownership, like some EVs may be a little bit more expensive up front, but if you keep it for a couple of years in a row, they make a lot of sense to keep on the long term. If there are Fleets out there thinking about getting into it, uh, EC's got a total cost of ownership tool uh, called the Drive Tool. Uh, happy to walk through anybody that needs assistance with that too. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm Matt. Matt, I'm just again reading all this information that I, I was going to say. I'm like, I'm watching you over there, just kind of like, and the no, it's I'm it's probably, cool. You form an LLC and apply for one of these things and be like, <laughs> Jerry, what are you doing? I got 17 EVs out there, baby. I got to charge them up and get them out for Turo or something. <laughs> I mean, clean school bus rebate program, top takeaways. Yeah, I mean that that one right there, climate pollution reduction grant, top 10 takeaways. This is, and you know. We want people to take this little appetizer like a bloom and onion and then go on and and you know get that steak, you know, get Foster's doesn't even exist in Australia, but it does exist at Outback Steakhouse. This message brought to you. I'm joking. <laughs> like, I mean, Outback I really Steakhouse. do love though. Is it pumpernickel? The like the dark brown loaf. It's got the, Ooh, the brown bread. bread. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. You don't even know the flavor. It's just brown bread. Brown bread. No, it's just <laughs> it's like the brown bread. It's always warm. The butter's always soft, you know. I can eat nine what of them. What are we talking about here? Yeah, it's like, but there are there are sufficient charging stations at Outback Steakhouse. Right Go on Outback down and get yourself a blooming onion and a full charge. Um, I, I I appreciate your guys' insight. We're trying to have fun here and make it digestible for people such as me. Again, early adopters. Um, Torn Emily, put you on the spot. Are you are you fully charged? Are you EV? What's what's your weapon of choice as far as vehicles? I will say, so we drive a 2017 Prius. And okay. as soon as that thing goes out, we're, we're putting a lot of miles on it. As soon as that's out, we're electric all the way. That's what do you got your eyes on? That's a gateway drug. That's a good one, though. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, well, my partner is very excited about the Aptera, um, which oh, God, yeah. is kind of a different take on what EVs can look like. I personally am more interested in a conventional looking EV, uh, probably the Mach-E. I'm a fan of what, what Ford's nice. been doing. And I hope they, I hope they keep investing in, in the electric side of things for sure. Sweet. Nice. Torin, your weapon. I haven't gone electric just yet. It is definitely on the front burner. It is definitely the next thing for me to get. Uh, if I had my choice, I think I'd probably hit up uh, Travis Reeder and his team and see if I can get that Tesla powered Camaro uh, on the road or even back <laughs> on the track again. That was so cool to see for a long time. Is Torin Loki a drift fan dropping Von Kitten Jr. on the switch gear? Not even Loki. Okay. So were you like, oh, I'm gonna be on with Jared Deanta? That guy is a real piece of trash. But I I am gonna bother you when I see you again at uh Pouring the Drift Orlando coming up. You got yeah, the Electrify Expo Orlando is coming up. That's where we're going to see you next. That yeah. too. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm amazed you weren't sitting sideways the whole time, like during the call. You know? <laughs> bad, bad dad drift jokes. And one, you're not a dad. Two, you're not a drifter, Matt. Stay in your lane. I'm just That's trying to sit in okay? here, Jared. That's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> um, no, Torin, uh, I appreciate your insight. And that that brings up, you know, we're, we're wrapping up here, but you know, motorsports, electric, I mean, it, it, Nitro Cross, you know, I just had Nitro Cross up in Calgary. So talking about cold weather charging, you know, we had that Chicago incident and here we go. Here's another can of worms. Um, but, <laughs> but, but that's again, you tapping into that emotion of motorsports or tapping into 
just that experience, you know, uh, Remots, you know, just a, a supercar that's electric and, and talking about Tesla. It's again, just hitting the right notes. There are options and not, it's not just a singular note. You don't have to just like elevator music. You can listen to heavy metal and drive an EV. You know, <laughs> you can listen to yacht rock and drive a, a Rivian truck or, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I think that the stigma is like, Oh, that guy's a nerd or this or that. And you guys are, helping the planet and and really educating a lot of people so i appreciate it matt anything in closing no I th again as i mentioned at the beginning it's i mean there's been a lot of hard work done for a long time by certain organizations and electrification coalition has been on the forefront of a lot of that uh i mean partnering with, with organizations as i mentioned they're working with fourth which is fourth mobility is out of you know out of portland oregon here where i'm based and there is it's so much that work that goes on behind the scenes for what finally turns into a headline in whatever we see on social media or in the news and good or bad you have to take you know take things in stride and a lot of that is basically just taking it day by day for some of these things that take a while to transition and with electrification that's that is that is the conversation this is not an overnight thing and there's so much for people to unpack regardless of their lifestyle but as they're exposed to programs like you've been discussing with i mean again even that pie in the sky what would you work on is it is it buses? Is it fleet? Or is it workplace charging? All those different things that you're working on play a role in just starting a conversation. And whether or not people are immediately going to engage on it is one thing, but that's where we're at as an industry is, is helping people understand how and where this fits in their life professionally or personally. And so uh, credit to the work that you're doing at, at EC. And, and again, I Again, hopefully you guys can lock down the workplace charging thing and then move on to those programs. You're like, I want to work on that too. So hopefully it goes speedily. But in the in the meantime, again, congrats on the great work that you're doing. Thank you for coming on today to just, again, help people understand exactly what they might not know about the work you're doing. And obviously, Torn, Orlando, we'll see you at Expo. And and uh, Emily, we'll, we'll see you at a future Expo in future months. Yep. <laughs> I'll meet yeah. you at that lake in Idaho. Yeah, we can knock on the door of the lodge and be like, no, you guys, you seriously. In our F-150, our Lightning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. <laughs> switch gear. The switch gear, baby. Um, well, Emily, Torn, thank you so much. Matt, always a pleasure. Thank you for your bevy of knowledge and just damn handsome good looks. I got um, the quaff. The quaff is like... It's coming in, man. I mean, it's, yeah. it's it's silver foxy, but you know, I mean, it's you know. You're the most humble guy, you know. Yep, that was yeah, good. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Emily Torn. Again, for more information, electrificationcoalition.org, where there is just, I mean, it's like a Harry Potter library full of resources <laughs> all about electrification. Thanks for joining us here on Electrify News, Electrify Expo. Be sure to check out the website for when it's a uh, sliding or charging into your neighborhood. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Electrify podcast brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV and follow along on social media for daily clips and more.